Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Scott. Very grateful member of the Al-Anon family group since January 1st of 1983. And I'd like to thank you all for uh, inviting me here tonight, Um, especially Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you for including Al-Anon as part of your program. Um, I just don't want to ever take this for granted, you know, to, um, to be asked to come and share what this program has done for me. It's such a blessing in my life and those um, people in my family and, and you know, um, I'm, I am surrounded by friends and um, my life could never be better. Uh, this is, I never dreamed it could be this good. And of course, it wasn't always that way and so we get to share in a general way what happened or what it used to be like, what happened and what it's like now. And so, um, you know, I, I always feel like that, um, in these meetings, they let the Al-Anon speak first, and I think that the alcoholic should speak first because I don't know about you, but my husband's very funny. Um, he makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. We had a good time. That's, of course, why I was drawn to him. And, you know, the alcoholic gets people just kind of loosened up, and they're kind of like laughing and having a good time, and then I can slip in and, and then tell you how it really was. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean, he is so goofy. We were um, we pulled into the gas station. <laughs> he says, "Don't tell them," but it's funny. We we pulled into the gas station when we got here, and he's cleaning the windows. And I'm not paying a whole lot of attention. All of a sudden, I look at him, and he's making these really weird faces at me. And you know, I, I mean, he's a pretty mature man if you look at me. You know, it's like you would think he'd be grown up by now, but. Um, <laughs> That's what I love about him. And alcoholics are like that for me. They're they're fun. Uh, we're, heck, whenever you go to meetings, you hear the most laughter coming out of the AA meetings. And early on, before um, I really began to uh, enjoy Al-Anon meetings, this is when I didn't really want to come, I would be jealous because I would hear them laughing over there and having a really good time. And it seemed to me that I was missing out on something. But, um, you know, today, the neat thing about it is, is that today the alcoholics sometimes complain because they say we're having too much fun, we're laughing too loud. So what that tells me, I believe, is that those, that's the sound of recovery. I think that laughter is the sound of recovery. And um, anyway, you know, when I met him, I was very, very young. Um, I have never known what it's like not to be in alcoholism. My mom had me... Um, without she was not married to my dad because he was already married and uh, so she found herself a, another um, alcoholic and they got together and they had a few more kids and so you know I've just I've always grown up not knowing but I was right smack dab in the middle of alcoholism and it's kind of like I guess alcoholism for me the family disease is sort of like two fish swimming in the ocean and the one fish says to the other one what's water and that's sort of what it was like for me. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Now, I do know that, that I'm very, very scared of my stepdad. Um, he drank, and when he drank, he got violent. Um, I knew that I didn't make friends easily. You know, I felt like a social misfit. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. A lot of the things that I hear alcoholics talk about, I can identify with those feelings. You know, I was not very um, comfortable with myself. And, you know... I think today I understand that what, what I was going through is pretty much what everybody goes through, but not everybody has the same 
situation, the same, um, it doesn't come to them the same way. Um, I think everybody has to find their own spiritual principles. You know, I believe that's what it is. There's, it's been said there is a God-shaped hole inside of us and that we have been trying to fill it with all kinds of things. And it wasn't until I found God, which I found in these rooms and through the 12 steps uh, of Al-Anon and uh, sponsorship and, you know, um, I love your theme, you know. Uh, we give this away. When we come here, we are, we are freely given. People were there for me, and, and today that's what I get to do. I get to work with others. And who knew that it was going to be such a joy? You know, I mean, it, it's it's the the high point of my life today. But um, anyway, you know, we're we're going along, and um, alcoholism is progressing as it does. It gets worse and it gets worse. And my mom and my stepdad um, have these violent arguments in which. You know, he's, uh, he beats her up and the police come and you know the scenario. I mean, some, uh, some of us have it worse than others, but it doesn't matter. It's still a very, very lonely, painful, embarrassing place to be. And, uh, you know, we, we lose all hope. We, we don't have, um, we don't have good feelings. Um, it's just, it's no fun. And, um, so, um, way back I can see that God entered into my life way back there when I was eight years old and things got pretty rough at home and my mom's sister we were living my uh, stepdad was construction worker so we moved I went to about four or five schools a year and uh, one day um, my mom was there and my stepdad was working and all of a sudden my aunt comes in and we've got everything packed up in a flash and we're loaded up and we're moving and here we are, we end up in Billings, Montana. Well, the reason I say that God works way, way back is I didn't know he was setting me up to to meet this wonderful, wonderful man over here. It was just, I mean to tell you, I was just head over heels with this guy. Um, the way this worked is, is my mom's got four kids. Um, she enters into this town. She has no education, so she starts working at night uh, in the bars, and um, I get to be the... Um, the mother, I'm the oldest one, so I take care of the kids. Well, there's two sides to that. You know, not only am I taking care of the kids, I'm pretty much running around doing what I want to do. And one night, uh, a girlfriend of mine said, there's a, a live band down at the YWCA. And so she says, we got to go check this out. And I had never seen a live band before. And so I snuck out and uh, went down to that YWCA, and there he was. He was playing bass guitar. And I'm telling you, he was good looking. He had these blue eyes under a black light, and he had this long hair, and that was in the 60s. He looked like John Lennon, and he was playing that guitar, and I mean, I, it's like, that's it. This is my man. And I mean, I, I am 12 years old now. <laughs> I meet him later uh, by, a, again, a freak deal, but I still think that God really, really wanted us to be together. The next day, I ran into him uh, downtown. His band was there, and somehow I got talking to him, and we ended up, I got in the car, and, and uh, you know, from there on out, we were always together. And uh, I had told him I lied when alcoholics talk about being a liar. I don't, I do not judge because I'm a liar, and I lie when it suits me. I told him that I was uh, 17, going to be 18, and I looked older. I mean, I, I wore the makeup. I had the eyeliner, and, and uh, you know, um, I wasn't a kid, and that's kind of one of the things that happens in alcoholism. You really, 
you have to grow up quickly. And so um, I was just I was just looking for I was looking for happiness. You know, I was looking for a purpose. I was looking for something, and this looked pretty good. And so um, I um, told him that. Uh, after some time, when I felt like you know I'd waited long enough that he wasn't going to run off and leave me, I told him the truth. And I said, you know, when I told you I was 17, going to be 18, well, really I was 12 and now I'm 13. <laughs> he didn't laugh like that. He didn't. He did not think that was funny at all. Didn't even believe me. So I said, well, um, I'm going to take you home and I'm going to let you ask my mom because she'll tell you the truth. And so I took him home, and my mom met him, and of course, my mom fell in love with him. Why not? You know, she loves alcoholics, and she loved him right from the get-go. She just thought he was the most charming, polite, I mean, he was just great. And he was, you know, he um, was very polite. He was raised, uh, his mother and dad were from Texas, and he had this... uh, um, southern type of um, politeness and you know people just they act better than than what's really going on I learned that from them and uh, anyway so he um, talked to my mom a little bit and when he found out it was the truth he left and he said see ya and I thought oh great I'm never going to see him again and I didn't for about five days and then one night as I'm babysitting, he knew my babysitting sitting spots. And uh, lo and behold, he knocked on the door and there he was. And he's been by my side ever since. So um, it's been quite a journey. But, uh, you know, my mom has these four kids and we wanted to get married. We were so in love. It was just, and it's just, you know, I cannot tell you. I was more like obsessed, but didn't matter. I don't know. All I know is, is this guy makes me feel good. And this guy doesn't seem to drink. So he's nothing like my alcoholic father. And I think that I have found happiness at last. Little do I know that alcoholism takes many forms. And he was an alcoholic, all right, but he was one of those nice, happy ones. And when he drank, he just was good-natured. And so it was fun. And uh, it was in the 60s, too. And so, you know, a lot of it was covered up because... They would do a little pot or whatever now and then. And so I didn't have a clue. I mean, I had absolutely no clue. I just thought he was a very easygoing, good-natured, loving kind of guy. And he really, really made me feel good. And so when he, you know, we decided, of course, it was always taken uh, for granted we were going to get married. And I asked my mom, um, can we, you know, in Montana, you could at that time. I don't even know what the laws are today. But not that it matters. Most people today are not looking. I mean, it's just different. The times are different. And back then, I wasn't looking to go out and get a career and, and make something of myself. I was just looking for a him to take care of me. And that, you know, that fits in really good with Alanonism because that's what I discovered after I came here, that that's the kind of thing that I do. I want to be taken care of. I don't want to be responsible for myself. I don't want to take care of myself. I want you to do it for me. And um, anyway, so we um, were able to get married. If your parents signed um, consent, then you can get married at the age of 16. And so you have to have, you go down to the courthouse and you get a license. It's got to be five days before the actual um, wedding or the light, you know, the actual mar- uh, yeah, wedding day. So we went down five days uh, or on my 16th birthday and then five days after we were married. And it was just, you know, it's like, this is great. This is great. I can now live. I mean, 
I am going to have the life I've always wanted. And uh, at that time, he was not, you know, he was in a band, and because he got married, he decided he should be responsible. So he went back out. He'd, he'd come from a ranch. And, um, you know, going from a country ranch to a hippie, that didn't make his dad happy at all. So him and his dad didn't have a very good relationship. But when he decided to get married, he did go back and ask to have his job back because he knew he was going to have to support a wife and someday a family. And so he went back out and he did that. So he's left the band. Now he's working back out on the ranch. And this is not fun. And back out on the ranch is very, very dry. There's nothing out there. So I'm still going to school. I'm a... Um, Let's see, I'm a junior in high school, and uh, because his sister one day made a uh, bad mistake. She told me that statistics say that I would never complete high school because, back, again, back then, there weren't any married people going to school. And, of course, I had to prove her wrong, and so I continued on to school and, and eventually graduated. But, you know, we, um, we would go for um, months where he didn't have anything to drink. And I didn't know about alcoholism. I don't know that dry alcoholics are of the worst kind. He was getting worse and worse, and I'm thinking, what is wrong? You know, what am I not doing right? Why? What happened to the happiness? This was all supposed to be different. It was going to work out. And, uh, you know, it's just um, you and me against the world all of a sudden went away. It was kind of like all of a sudden we were fighting against, you know, each other. And... Uh, I knew I made a mistake, and it's like, oh, my goodness, what, you know, what do I do now? I'm in this mess, and so I go on. I finish high school. We are, alcoholism is progressing. We're fighting more and more. I'm trying everything there is to make it, everything okay. I mean, I'm doing everything that I think that he wants. I'm trying to be a better cook. I'm trying to be a better wife. I'm trying to, you know, uh, just whatever it is he wants, I'm trying to do just simply because I want this to be okay. And I don't feel good because if he doesn't love me, then again, there's something wrong with me. And I'm right back to where I was. I didn't know this is called Alanonism. You know, I didn't know that what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to suck my own happiness out of another human being. No wonder alcoholism is a family disease because an alcoholic needs alcohol to be complete. And I needed the alcoholic to be complete. And he wasn't getting his alcohol. And I was not getting what I should get from the alcoholic. So you kind of get the picture. It was not pretty. Well, eventually there comes a point where, you know, you come down to that place where we, we had said when we got married that we were going to wait five years before we had kids. And so but before you know it, five years have arrived. Now, an Al-Anon never forgets. And so I went to him, and it's been five years, and I say, what do you say that we start a family? Well, he's not having any of this. No, I don't think so. It's like I didn't know alcoholics don't like responsibility. You know, I have no idea that this thought just absolutely terrifies him, and that's the last thing he wants to do. And so I think, me, who I know best, well, I'll just get pregnant, and he'll be okay with it. It'll make him happy. He just doesn't know it yet. I'll, we'll have a son. Well, it did not make him happy, as you can guess, when I came to him one day and I said, without his consent, we're pregnant. And, uh, you know, I was still trying to go with him everywhere. Um, you know, we would do things like, um, we would try to make it better. We'd really try to make it better. And, and he knew something was wrong because he would say something like, okay, we're going to go to these people's house, and I hated these people because every time we went to these people's house, 
there was alcohol. And when there's alcohol, we're there forever. And it gets embarrassing and it's bad and you know, you know how it is. And so he would say things like, well, why don't you just tell me when it's time to go? Because you seem to know. You have the answers. You, you always know when, when the timing is right. And he knew. You know, I now know the alcoholic mind is going, geez, you know, I, I, I overstepped it one more time. And it's like they just can't ever get their timing right. So here I am, and I'm like, you know, I know. Just ask me. I can help you with this. So we go to this place, and sure enough, the drinking, you know, begins to progress. And I look at him, and he's had his two-plus. And uh, I can tell. You can tell because they get that look in their eyes, and their mouth kind of gets slack, and they're, you know, and they're, they're telling more jokes than normal. And, and uh, I looked at him, and I was trying to be discreet. And I would say things like, it's time to go now. And boy, oh boy, he would turn on me, and it's like, what are you talking about? It is not time to go. And I later found out that he would say, well, you know, you just don't hit it right. Because it's either that, you know, I just haven't had enough, and I can't leave yet, or I am the life of the party, I can't leave yet. And so, you know, I don't know where that spot is for him. All I know is, is one more time is I'm humiliated and I'm embarrassed. And we have this ranch and we got people that we're having business meetings and business dinners and it's important. It's important how you conduct yourselves. And he would sit there and he would have a few too many and and some of the wives of some of the businessmen, the bankers and the whatnot would have a little bit too many and before you know it, though, those two are out there dancing. And there would be, I remember being in a room like this and and there was a band playing, and him and her would be out there dancing, and and he would be twirling, and before you know it, she goes flying across the room, and she smacks against the wall and falls down. And I looked over there in just horror, and I looked at this guy that was standing next to me, and I said, look at that. That is so disgusting. And he looked at me, and he says, oh, well, he's just having a good time. You know, and it's it occurs to me, I mean, you know, those of you who are in Al-Anon know what I mean. You try to tell people about this, and they don't get it. It's like, what's the big deal? And it was a big deal. It was a big deal because I was humiliated, and I was embarrassed, and I didn't look good because of what he was doing. And, you know, and, and then you come into Al-Anon, and you find out. You find out that, you know, what he does is not on me, and vice versa. I mean, we both are responsible for our own behavior. And what a freedom there is in that. Because now, you know, we can, now we can love each other and we can live together. Um, I love the fact that, in, you know, in recovery, even if the alcoholic chooses to continue to drink, we can still love them. There's no place else you can go that you have that freedom. Because other people say, what's wrong with you? I heard it plenty. You need to leave. I wouldn't put up with that. Why do you stay? And then, you know, <laughs> the other thing is, is after I got into Al-Anon, I found out, ooh, he didn't need to put up with me. Why did he stay? <laughs> you know, I was awful. And I love it in, uh, in our meeting when new people come in. Because at first they come in and they're just so mad. They're so mad at what has happened to them and, and what has been done to them. And, you know, and they sit there and then after a few meetings, it's kind of like their face takes on this, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are sick. 
We do terrible things. I treated his friends so bad. It's no wonder. I didn't know why they didn't like me. You know, I mean, they would come to the door. I, I remember one in particular. That, that in fact, it's the guy that 12-stepped him. I didn't even know what was happening this day. And he comes to the door, and he was a man who John had drank with, and he was sober in AA. Uh, had only been sober for a couple months. And he'd come out to just visit with him. And he came to the door, and I took one look at him, and I just literally turned my back on him and walked into the house. I left the door open so he could come in or go out. I didn't care what he did. You know, and the, the man had to come in and find him for himself, which wasn't too hard because um, he knew our house pretty well, and there was a bar right downstairs, so he knew where to find him. But, you know, I was so rude. I was just, um, I look back at that, and I, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for that kind of behavior. And yet, I was so full of hatred, bitterness, and resentment that I took it out on everybody. And when the alcoholic was even ready to get sober, I could have cared less. But, you know, we're, um, we're just trying to find our way in this family disease. And, and here I am, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to produce this son, and, and everything's going to be great. You know, that's going to make him happy. He's not going to have to drink anymore. But uh, guess what? You know, we, we had this baby, and first off, she was a girl instead of a boy. But um, she, I'm telling you, that was one of the moments in my life. There are certain moments in your life that you never, ever forget. And when they laid that little girl in my arms, I remember feeling this, this love that just filled me up. And I think it's love that, you know, that I had all along, but I had nowhere to go with it. And finally, I had this little girl, and she seemed so innocent. And, you know, she had not, there had been no pain involved. She had not hurt me. I mean, she was just, and she was mine. And I, I just poured everything into her. Later on, probably after she was about a year old, couldn't figure out why. She was a difficult child. And she just, we were just butting heads together all the time. Well, later, much later, I find out, uh, she is an Alcoholics Anonymous today. So what does that tell you? <laughs> you know, there's something about the alcoholic and the family members. You know, we just, we don't think like you think. My sponsor taught me that long time ago. She said that alcoholics think differently. And I had to learn to quit trying to figure out his thinking because I don't think like that, and not in a million years can I come up with that. And so, you know, being able to go to open AA meetings has been such a blessing in my life because I've gotten to hear um, alcoholics share. And it's like, wow, you know, you all talk the same. It's amazing. I used to think that he was just telling me that, you know. But um, I tell you what, that was one of the most healing things in my recovery was when I began to attend open meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe that I probably, you know, everybody has their own story. But I can tell you that Al-Anon would not have worked for me um, had I not attended open A meetings for a while first because I had to understand that this really was a family disease. And I had to understand that it was not someone being willful and bad. I had to understand that it was not someone who was doing this to me. And once I began to hear the love that was in these rooms and the love that alcoholics have for one another, it's like something I'd never seen before. It, it's like it opened up a brand new window for me. And I feel so bad for the alcoholics who come in and the family doesn't want anything to do with their recovery. It's, and, and it's kind of like the idea I had. 
you're the drunk, you need it, you go. I don't need to be there. I don't need to do anything. There's nothing wrong with me. And I little did I know that there was plenty wrong with me. But I was really fortunate because he went to a group who really understood that it was a family disease, and they really encouraged him to invite me to those open A meetings, and that's that's where I got started. But um, anyway, so we uh, we're going on, and you know we're continuing. Alcoholism is continuing to progress. We fight more and more. Um, we I, he's gone even more now that that uh, our daughter is there. So I get pregnant again, thinking, okay, this time we'll have the boy. That will do it. You know, I can't believe that I kept thinking this will be the answer. This will be the answer. Never was. But I always knew this time, this time it was going to work. And so we did have a boy this time. <laughs> and guess what? Uh, it didn't work. But, um, you know, these kids suffered. They suffered a lot. And that's the sad thing. Because knowingly, knowingly that things were not good at home, I brought kids into that marriage trying to make the marriage better worst thing in the world that we can do because if the marriage is not doing good bringing children into it does not help in fact is it's it's always um makes it worse and the kids suffer they pay a price you know i thought that the kids were not suffering because first off you know they were in their rooms with the door shut when we were screaming and yelling at each other so i figured they're not if out of sight you know they can't they can't see or hear or feel it the truth of the matter is they did and I, I am so, you know, I'm grateful for the steps, for the ninth step especially, to be able to make amends to my children. Because today we have a, an awesome relationship. And I can tell you if it wasn't for this program, if it wasn't for what you gave me, they probably wouldn't even let me in their lives. That's how bad it was. I was very, I was a high-strung, um, terrible, terrible uh, pre-Alanon. Uh, I was the type that needed everything perfect, they needed to get dressed, sit on the couch, don't make messes. If you spill your milk, that is not an accident. You were horsing around. Had you not been horsing around, it wouldn't have happened. What's wrong with you? Why can't you behave? And I, I was horrible to my kids. I think back on that, and I just, you know, I just didn't know any better. And I, um, again, you know, I was in alcoholism. I, w- I was surrounded by alcoholism all my life. I never knew. My mom didn't know. My mom did the best that she could. But she didn't know either, and she had been in alcoholism. You know, she had a tough life. And so it doesn't matter where it started. What does matter is that today we are able to give our children recovery. And the reason I'm able to do that is because I found you, and I found a sponsor who told me that I needed to make my recovery top priority. You know, I struggled with leaving those kids going to meetings. It's like, how do you do that? There was such guilt. I don't know, you know, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just felt guilty. And so every time I'd leave for a meeting, I was thinking that I was doing something bad for my kids. My sponsor helped me to see that if I didn't have recovery, I had nothing to give my kids. And so she said, you get to those meetings. God took care of those kids when you were out there in the alcoholism. And he will take care of those kids while you're at meetings. And I can say that that, has been the, that was the best thing that could have happened for us because we were going to need that. But, you know, I, um, I, <laughs> it's a wonder I'm standing here before you today. There was just, you know, a few uh, thing about alcoholism is many of us have our, our stories that it's kind of like, well, you know, um, it's, not, it's not our fault we're here. Um, if it were up to us, we probably wouldn't even, we would not be around. And, you know, a couple of those is, is that, 
John and I just absolutely developed a relationship from love to the total extreme of hatred. And this was just right prior to the time of him finding Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was the worst it could possibly be. And there were times that I just, I just wanted him dead, and I mean literally dead. And I was thinking about how this could take place. And so, you know, we Al-Anons like to think, and uh, I was thinking a lot. And so we would come, we lived, as I said, out on a ranch, and we'd go into town, and he would get drunk, and then he'd, you know, only the finest bars and restaurants. And then, you know, afterwards, we'd always meet with these people uh, doing business, so to speak. And then afterwards, at 2 o'clock in the morning when the bar shut down, he, it was, you know, it was just a routine schedule. And he would go, and he would relieve himself in front uh, uh, lobby in the flower pot, and because the stairs to the bathroom was so far away, and it was just, you know, he couldn't do that. So then he would go out to the car, and he would climb into the back seat and lay down and pass out. And, of course, I get to drive him home. And so as we're driving, that's when I'm thinking. And, um, you know, our garage isn't heated, and it's really, really cold tonight. And actually, it's like it's supposed to be 20 below, and it's going to be really cold. And so if I just uh, left him out there, you know, accidents happen and um, my problem would be taken away from, and, you know, all would be well. So I thought it was a pretty good idea. And I would do this, and, you know, I would very quietly get out of the car. And, I mean, when they're passed out, they are passed out. So, but still, I was very quiet just in case. And I would go into the house and I would crawl into bed, and I remember just feeling such peace. Very rarely do I have those moments of peace. And here, you know, I just, my, when I wake up in the morning, it's all going to be well. Well, lo and behold, a couple hours later, never failed, I'd feel these ice cubes getting into bed with me and saying, why did you leave me out there? And I just, oh, you know, failed again. There's got to be something. I mean, I can't believe sometimes that, you know, that, I mean, this is serious. I'm really really considering what to do to get this guy, get rid of him. And, uh, you know, and there was another time. Um, that's putting him in danger. Then there's the other side of that, putting ourselves in danger. And uh, we had these um, birds that used to fly around the house and build nests. And they were very, very messy, and they would poop all over the window. And so they were out there flying around, doing their thing. And, oh, you know, I was just, it was Sunday morning, the kids were up, and I was just, he was still passed out, and I was just so angry. Just, it was just coming up through, you know, I mean, it's just like bile just coming up through my mouth, and I just was just, couldn't stand it. I grabbed me a broom, and I went outside, and I started beating at these birds with this broom. And I looked down about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile maybe, there is a trailer court where all the hired help live. And I can see them all coming out of their trailers, looking up there, going, what? I mean, you could just see. Obviously, something's wrong. They're all out of their trailers looking, and I don't care, and I'm screaming and yelling. And, and then I see something else out of the corner of my eye. I see him standing there, and he's got a shotgun. And he's looking at me, and again, I see that look in his eye. Any sane person would know to back off. And what do I do? I put my hands on my hips and I take one step closer. And I looked him in the eye and I said, so are you going to shoot or what? 
And I mean, he just looked like he was going to explode. And fortunately, he pulled the gun up right before he shot it off. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. You know, and so then I turn around, I go back in the house, and I make lunch for our two kids. <laughs> so if I have any trouble wondering if there's any insanity in my life, you know, all I have to do is to go back and to look at what it, it was like before I got to you. Um, there are many things that happened to us, but the worst was that hatred that I talked about then began to move towards indifference. And that's when it's really scary because there's nothing there. Hatred, at least, is just love that's in, introverted. It's just it's the opposite. But when you get to indifference, there is absolutely nothing left. And what I did was is something, you know, the, the big book talks about um, the alcoholic and finding the one who understands. And, you know, that doesn't always just happen to the alcoholics. And I was with him out there in those bars. And I was in the same environment. I wasn't drinking, but let me tell you, I was looking for something. And I will never, ever, ever want to put that kind of harm on anybody ever again. I didn't want to do that. When I said my marriage vows, I meant them from the bottom of my heart. But alcoholism destroys everything. Alcoholism destroys all of our good intentions. It destroys our love. It destroys every goodness that is within us. And so what we had done there is we had totally stripped each other of dignity. We were two people who just couldn't even live with each other. And we couldn't live without each other. Because he wouldn't let me um, have the kids if I was to leave him. And it's kind of funny with that because he often says, what would I do with kids? It's not like I wanted them. <laughs> you know, and he really wasn't. I mean, when you're drinking, you really don't need little kids around. That kind of interferes with that. But I wasn't very smart. And I, and I, and I, I believe that he would have withheld those kids from me just, just out of spite. I had a live-in sitter out there um, because I wanted to make sure. Oh, there's my good friend Wayne in the South Dakota bunch. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> but um, anyway, you know, I am. Um, I just know that our kids paid a price for this, and, uh, you know, we, we had nothing when we came to you. Nothing. And so now here's the good news. God, again, has intervened. He sent somebody to, you know, I didn't know. I had no idea that my husband was at a place where he couldn't live one more day to drink or one more day not to drink. I didn't know that that's where he was at because that's just how communicative we were with each other. Like I said, there was total indifference. We lived in the same house for several months before we got to this program, and we didn't speak to each other at all. We came and we went. On the, you know, I, uh, I had a job in town. He went to work, but we never spoke, and our kids seen this. And kids feel alcoholism. They can feel the environment of what goes on. There's either that, that horrible silence or that screaming and yelling, and the screaming and yelling was done. We'd passed up that long time ago. Uh, now it was just total indifference and silence. And um, he was at that place, and, and God sent um, someone to him. And, and um, little by little, he's uh, got a story that he'll share with you later. But um, he did get sober, and then he started in on Al-Anon. Oh, jeez. It's like, no, not that. First off, 
I am really, really angry, okay? And he has this big book laying on the dining room table. Well, I am not going to look at that book. That's his book. And I am not, I don't care what's in that book. And I think he left it laying there hoping that I would open it up and read it. You know, there is a couple chapters. One is called Chapter to the Wives, and the other one is called The Family Afterward. I would have done very, very well to have read that. But I was so angry and so resentful that I did not at the time. But um, he did go to a group that believed in family recovery. They believed in treating the family as well. And what they did was is they kept telling him to invite me to. They had open meetings on Saturday night. And he was going to all these meetings. For a while, I didn't even know he was in AA because he was never home. And it didn't matter to me. But one day, uh, I guess a sponsor directed him to invite me. And so he came and talked to me. He says, I haven't been drinking. I've been going to meetings of AA. <laughs> I said, so? <laughs> I mean, I was thrilled. And, uh, you know, I really just, I don't know why, but he asked me to go this one Saturday night, and I said I would. And I went to that meeting, and I remember walking in the door, and I had my, my face down just looking at the floor. I was so scared of what I was going to see. Because I just knew it was a bunch of derelicts, you know. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, I know what they look like. And, you know, the f God is so good. The first moment I looked up, my eyes locked on to a man who had been coming into where I work pretty much on a daily basis. He was a cattle buyer. And he, he I always, I hated everybody, but I liked this man. Now I know why. <laughs> you know, he had been coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was the kindest man. And he had these gentle blue eyes. And when I looked up and I seen him, my first thought was, oh, my God, he's going to see me here. <laughs> Isn't that silly? It's like, well, no, wait a minute. What are you doing here? And, you know, he just welcomed me. And, and, I could, and then I start looking around, and I seen I seen another woman with gray hair, and she looked like somebody's little grandmother. And I seen a couple other people, and they were all smiling, and they were clean, and they were just, they were happy. These people were happy. I hadn't seen people with smiles on their faces in so long that I it's like I didn't even know they existed. You know, I'd been frequenting the bars, and the people there, um, they're smiling all right, and they're laughing at your expense. And, uh, you know, it's not a good place to be. But um, this uh, meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous was the first place that I began to feel something different other than that pain and that loneliness and that anger. And um, I began going every Saturday night. And they asked me to, uh, one day they asked me if I would cut the cake. I can't tell you. Just ask a, a pre-Alanon to help you do something, and they're right there because we love to feel needed. <laughs> And, you know, um, I became a part of that open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I couldn't wait to get there. I loved those people. And the funny thing is, John reminded me of something I'd forgotten. He said, you remember when I wanted to start another meeting? And he said, and you got really, really mad unless it was an open meeting. And I'd forgotten about that. He said, you know, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to start another meeting on Tuesday night or something. And, and I mean, I threw a fit because I wanted to go and be there, too. And I said, you have got to make that an open meeting. And so he went back to the group conscience and 
they opened it up so I could be there. <laughs> you know, and I just, I love alcoholics. I love being with you. I love your love for each other. I love recovery. Um, you tricked me when it came to Al-Anon. I didn't want to go over to that next room. And I even went one time, and I did not like those people over there. They were like these little gray-haired women with thin blue lips. And, you know, they, they, they were so sweet. And I was not. I was mean. And I knew I was mean. I mean, I, I was the kind that, you know, they tried to keep their husband's dinner warm. Not me. I turn it up to 500 and just hope it broils before he gets home so I can serve him charcoal dinner, you know? I mean, and I'm loving every minute of it. I don't like him, and he's going to know it. So I couldn't relate. And so I'm really grateful that, you know, not, not all of us are of the sweet variety. And I believe that that's why God probably led me where he led me, um, because I needed to... I needed to be with people where I could hear recovery. And, you know, um, I heard about the steps, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I heard about it in AA meetings. I wasn't hearing about it in the Al-Anon rooms. Not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying the meetings that were in my area, all they did was read the One Day at a Time book. That's all they did. And they'd pass the book around, and then people would share of how they felt. And I am sorry, but for a person like me, I've got to have more. I have got to work those steps because I have got to have a personality change. Because if I don't, I am never going to have restored relationships with anybody. And so, you know, that's that's my story, and and I can't change that. And and again, you know, God has His ways. Um, there was some uh, alcoholic who came in with uh, his wife and. Uh, one of the um, guys, the long timers, came to me and said, "Oh, you know." Chris over here needs someone to take her to an Al-Anon meeting. Do you suppose you could take her? <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, I gathered up this little Chris, and I took her to five meetings in that week. And, I mean, I'm this meeting here and that meeting there. And, and I'm just so busy taking her to meetings. And I don't know. I can't tell you when it happened. But all of a sudden, I'm realizing she's not there anymore. But I am. So, you know, it doesn't matter what your motive is. The point is, is I kept coming back. And, and again, you know, it's like I, I just, something was missing. Um, I wasn't getting it in those meetings. And so um, I started my own meeting. And, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, you know, that meeting was based on a couple things that I learned about recovery that I thought was vital to my recovery. The big book says that, you know, um, God will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. There was a fellowship that I craved, that I had to have. And I sponsored a few people. I didn't have a sponsor yet, mind you. This is the funny part about it. No sponsor, but boy, can I help you. Well, the sad thing is, is these girls are getting well, and I am not. Now, I wonder why that is. Because, you know, they were simply doing what I told them to do. And what I told them to do is what I heard from AA. <laughs> it's like, well, let's see. This is what they do. And so, um, you know, there came a point, five years finally, and I realized that if I'm, you know, I'm going to grow here, I'm going to have to do what everybody else has had to do. I am going to have to find a sponsor. And I think when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so, lo and behold, um, went to a conference, the very first conference that – we had John and I had ever been to, even though uh, been going to meetings for several years, 
And uh, it was one that where there was um, Clancy was speaking, and we had all heard about him. It's like, oh, man, we got to go hear this guy. So we drove clear across the state to go to this conference. And it was at that conference that I seen um, somebody, and at the time it was not CDs, it was tapes, and they had um, all these tapes laid out there, and I seen Al-Anon 12-step study. And I mean, I am so excited because I had no idea that Al-Anon's worked with 12 steps. I just hadn't heard it before. And so I went up, to, again, I love this. God is so much involved. And I picked up this set of 12-step um, study tapes, by this Al-Anon speaker, and I went to buy it, and at that time it was Dick at the table, and I did not know him at all. Today he's my husband's sponsor, you know, how cool is that? But um, anyway, uh, he asked me, do you know this person? I said no, and he swapped tapes on me. He put that one back, he gave me another one, and that is the sponsor I have today. And I have had for the last 22 years. You know, um, she is absolutely the right woman for me because she is, like, way, way bigger than I am. She's tall. She's very demanding. She does not take any lip. And I tell you what, I mean, I fear for my life with her. And that is good for me. And I have to say at the same time, it's not that, that she, I also at the same extreme know how much she loves me. I know that she loves me enough to want the very best for me. And when she tells me, actions to take. They're only actions in this program. She has never asked me to do anything that has brought about bad results. So sponsorship has been a very, very good thing for me today. And today, I sponsor a lot of gals. I was just up to um, Alaska last weekend. It just, you know, I went and spoke someplace and one little girl asked me to be her sponsor. And from that, you know, um, there, she started a group. And I went up there because there was a, they were having their 10th year anniversary at their Al-Anon meeting. And that just touches my heart, you know. Again, that's what your theme is all about. And these people are, you know, they're doing Al-Anon and families are recovering and they're, they're happy and they've got an Al-Anon and AA side by side. And, you know, it's just, it is just absolutely awesome because when I was up there 10 years ago and I was the Al-Anon speaker, there was not even an Al-Anon to introduce me because the Al-Anon was not active there. So, you know, wherever there's a need, God fills that in. And I have come to believe that it is, this isn't about my own happiness. It's, you know, I used to think when he was going to A meetings, it's like, well, when are you going to stay home so I can have mine? When are we going to be happy? When are you going to be the husband, the father? You know, somewhere in there, aren't I going to be happy? I didn't know that it's not about me being happy and having stuff or things or any of that. Really, my happiness comes from being of service, for being, you know, I have to know what my purpose is. I have to be useful. To, you know, they read up here what our fifth tradition, what our purpose is, you know, is to help families work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or so. And I am going to tell you, it does not say the 12 steps of Al-Anon. It says the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which you will find in the AA book. And you can argue all you want with me. I'm, it's not up for debate. That's my experience. And, uh, you know, if something else works for you, I, I'm saying great. It just wouldn't have worked for me. I needed what I have, and the women I sponsor, they need what they have. My sponsor says every light draws its own bugs. And, you know, that's kind of the way it is. If we were all the same, then it, it wouldn't be 
wouldn't be as effective. And so it's really important, I believe, that we be who we are. And this is who I am. And I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the big book. It has done more for my recovery and my family because, you see, I have a daughter. I have a daughter who was really getting weird. Um, she was uh, 14 years old when she uh, – actually, she was, what, 12 when we sent her to Alateen. She got a sponsor, did all that fun stuff, worked the steps with her sponsor. And she just loved the, you know, the activity. But um, at 14 years old, we had some things happen, and uh, she finds herself in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I am so grateful for the women in Alcoholics Anonymous who sat there and 12-stepped my daughter. Because you did for her what I cannot do. And I can tell you that I cannot help my children. You can. And I can help your kids. It just seems to work that way. But, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous has been helping my daughter. She is, uh, we're going out there next month so that she can celebrate her 20th AA birthday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, you know, that's, that's from you. And uh, I just, how can I thank you? How can I thank you for that? You know, I've got, I've got another son who's a sobriety baby. Well, <laughs> that little boy, I'll tell you what, um, he went to Alateen. He went when he was eight years old, and he went till, um, for the first time. It was kind of interesting how that happened. We have a thing where the men put on a men's retreat, and the women put on a women's retreat. It's AA and Al-Anon. And then the guys in the Al-Anon group decided to do something for the women, actually. They held something called fish talk. And they gathered up all the kids and took them out fishing for the weekend so that the moms could go have a weekend at the retreat. The most awesome thing. And my son was invited to that. Even though he hadn't been going to Alateen, I thought, well, why are you even inviting him? But they invited him, and, you know, he came back from that weekend, and he, he wanted to go to Alateen after that. And he went for a while. And then he didn't want to go anymore. And so I was really disappointed, but, you know, I didn't want him to go and disrupt the group. So if he didn't want to go, I figured he'd tried it, and that was his decision. And so um, along about the time he was, um, oh, a couple years later, I guess it was, he came to me, and he had his little one day at a time, his little Alateen book, little red book, and he says, Mom, my life was really a lot better when I was going to Alateen. (laughs) And I couldn't have been happier. It's he went back to Alateen, and he did awesome until six months before he turned 18. And then all of a sudden, his grades went down. He skipped out on Alateen. He didn't. He was a terrible, terrible son. Oh, he was so hard to get along with. We had a great relationship. I don't know what happened, but I think, I suspect, it's called alcoholism. And, you know, he, um, he's been out doing his own thing uh, for some time now, and right now he's He's about to, actually in about 10 days, present us with a um, granddaughter. Um, They're not married or anything, but, uh, you know, (laughs) that's not what we wanted. But on the other hand, again, it's his life. And I thank this program for, you know, for helping me to allow my kids to be who they are. You know, I mean, I tried to train him up. I tried to give him principles. But once they're grown, I have to leave them alone. I have to let them make their own decisions, their own choices, find their way, and it's very scary sometimes. And that's sometimes why we have to keep going to meetings. We have to help each other go through those times because there's, it's terrible. We know. It's like I told one of the girls I sponsored the other day. The reason this is so hard for you is because you know alcoholism. 
you know what happens in alcoholism, and there's just such great fear there. But, you know, one day at a time, we have tools, and we come together and we support each other. And I love the fact that, you know, I think that we tell, I, we tell our stories because what they are is a way for us to understand spiritual principles. It's in people sharing their stories with me that I begin to understand uh, a God. And, you know, um, I have a home group today that I love my home group. And every one of them, I just uh, was with them last night. And uh, it's just, I am just in awe of the things that they share and the things that I hear. Even though I've been coming to meetings for a long, long time, I still get to hear new stuff. And I still get to watch the new person come in and get the ahas. And they begin to, you know, to understand the power the power that's in this program. I am, it's so sad when you see people come in and they're right here in the middle of the power and they don't know it and they leave and they were here and they missed it. And sometimes they don't make it back. And so as a member of my home group, I try to make sure that every new person that comes in that door that I go up and I welcome and I give them a hug and I ask them to come back and I try to give them some little bit of hope and every one of us do that because, you know, that the newcomer is our, it's the life. If we don't have new people coming into our meetings, then it becomes like the Dead Sea. And it's just you hear the same old thing from the same old person. You know what they're going to say before they say it. And, you know, it's just so in order to keep this thing alive for me, I think it's really, really important that I give away um, what I've been given. You know, this is, um, um, I, and I was thinking something today. I woke up this morning. The first thought that came to me was my father-in-law. He's got, um, well, they're not sure if it's Alzheimer's or if it's um, dementia. But it's, you know, it's something where anyway, he, he's really, um, he doesn't recognize people very well. He's in and out a lot of the time. And here in the last um, probably 60 days, he's been in the hospital got really, really weak. He developed a urinary tract infection. He had pneumonia. Um, he was so weak he couldn't walk. And they didn't think he was going to make it. So we actually flew down there to be with him for a few days. And uh, uh, we stayed for about a week. And they moved him over to a rehab rehabilitation place to teach him how to walk again because he was so weak he couldn't walk. And we've been getting progress reports, and he's still not. Some days he walks, and sometimes he don't. And it's like he don't. It's almost like he doesn't want to live anymore. He refuses to eat. He just, I don't, you know, leave me alone. He don't want to eat. He don't want to drink. He don't want to do anything to stay alive. And I was thinking about why. Why is it sometimes that people, you know, what's the purpose? This man would be so much more comfortable just going to sleep. And then it occurred to me that I always look at the way God works as what does this mean, you know, what does this mean to me? It's never, it's never about, you know what, maybe that man has some, some lessons that people around him need to learn. Maybe that's why he's still here. I don't know. If it were up to me, I'd say, you know, just take him home. But it, God does not always make sense to me. And so I just need to keep learning. I need to keep hearing. I need to keep growing, you know, improving my conscious contact with this God of my understanding because I just know that he is sufficient. 
and that whatever life throws our way, that we have everything that we need with each other and with him. And so, you know, if I can just stay here with you, then I'm going to be okay, and I need to do the things that are going to make that happen. And so what my sponsor calls this program is six things. Uh, One of them is go to meetings, get a sponsor, take commitments in your home group, work the 12 steps, work with others, and pray on your needs. And I believe if I do that one day at a time, my program will be alive and well. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you've given me and for just the privilege of coming to share with you. Thank you.